Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for who you are. Once again, we thank you for your blessings. Thank you for allowing us to come together to find out, to learn about what's out there, what we'll be dealing with, whether it's in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, um, out in public, even at school, and even some, not not just elementary, junior high, high schools, but even at at universities, what we're going to see, even on television, what we're going to see, or even here, if if there's people who still listen to the radio, you know, some of these radio stations. uh, And so, Lord, we need to discern what is of you, what is not of you, and then be equipped tonight, Lord. That's our goal. We want to be equipped tonight to, to be able to help those who are involved in, in, in Mormonism or uh, the New Age movement. We, we want to share the truth with them in love, and we would love to see them come to the Jesus of the Bible. Not their Jesus, but the Jesus of the Bible. And so that's our goal. That's our heart. So I pray tonight, Lord, that you help me to speak the truth in love. Help me to, to share this information with a heart of humility because I don't know it all. And, Lord, you are sovereign and, and you love um, every single person on the face of this earth. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Bless my brothers and sisters tonight as they've joined us. And if there is someone who may be a Mormon or um, involved in the New Age move, movement and they're watching or maybe in the building, I pray that, that Lord, you would um, help them, Lord, to, to see that what I'm sharing is true. And I pray that you would draw them to Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we want to start with, oh, there we go, the definition of a cult. And so the definition of a cult is, according to Merriam-Webster, is a religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. And there was someone uh, by the name of Walter Martin who spent over 30 years researching cults and working with cultists, and he defines cults as groups which hold doctrines that are contradictory to orthodox Christianity. But, but yet and still, they claim to track their origin to orthodox sources and may even be in harmony with some of those sources. Another typical characteristic of a cult, says Martin, is that it is a group of people gathered around a specific person or a person's misinterpretation of the Bible. And with that being said, there are five major characteristics of a cult that I'd like to share with you tonight. And number one, they reject the Trinity. They reject the the triune nature or three-in-one nature of the God of the Bible. And then, of course, you can read that second point. It it says that they believe all Christian churches are wrong and that they have the only truth about God. Speaking of the cultists, they believe they have the only truth about God. They also claim to believe the Bible, but they distort, they, they change his teachings in order to, to fit their view of mankind, God, the Holy Spirit, 
their view of heaven and hell, salvation, and, and many other doctrines. And doctrines just means teachings. But they also, as we look at point four there, they also deny that people can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And I'm speaking once again, every time I say Jesus Christ and, and, and putting your faith in him for salvation, I'm speaking of the Jesus Christ that's in the Bible, the way God revealed him to be, the way Jesus revealed himself to be. And they're also skillful at using Christian terminology, but they are not talking the same language as biblical Christians, as Christians who believe that the Bible is truly the word of God. It's inspired by God. It's God breathed. So those are biblical Christians, and I consider myself a biblical Christian. I know many of you do as well. And so the first um, cult, and, and, and I'll show you why I, I call Mormonism a cult. But the first one we'll, we'll cover is Mormonism. Now, according to worldatlas.com, the United States has the largest Mormon population. With over, actually, 6.5 million. And then you see the note there. The second point is that as of December 31st, 2020, this is not too long ago, the worldwide membership to the Mormon church was at that time over 16 million. So those, those are a lot of people. A lot of people I personally believe are, are being deceived. They may not even know it. I, I, I know some Mormons. I've talked to some. Many of them are nice. Uh, family, you know, you see the family orientation there, family people. Um, and so they want to help out sometimes. They ask to do different things and so forth. And so I don't see anything in the scriptures, though, that says that if you be nice and just do good things, apart from putting your faith in the Jesus of the Bible, that that's going to get you to heaven. I don't see anything in the scriptures that that shows that. And so we'll cover that. But in regard to the origins of Mormonism, and and there's not going to be a slide on this, I'm going to share this with you, that it it all started with a 14-year-old boy and Of course, his name is Joseph Smith. Many of you are familiar with that, Joseph Smith Jr. And so he had a vision which there were two personages who he said is is the father and the son. And they appeared before him. And he asked them, hey, which Christian denomination should I join? And according to him, the father and son who appeared to him as a 14-year-old boy According to his story, they told him to not join any of them because all of them are wrong and corrupt. And you can find that in in Pearl of Great Price. So you can, you know, research that on your own. But in 1823, uh, Smith, you know, at that point was 17 years, years old. And he saw an angel that he called Moroni appear to him at his bedside. And he told him of a book that was written on golden plates by former inhabitants of the continent that would contain supposedly the fullness of the everlasting gospel. And then four years later, 
Smith dug up the plates and he began translating what he called was reformed Egyptian writing with the help of two stones, the Urim and the Thummim. And so there you go, using biblical terms, but, you know, using them in in, in his own way. But as Smith translated the plates, as the story goes, he sat behind a curtain and he gazed into a hat and, and, and he was supposedly reading lines of what is known today as the Book of Mormon. And they were supposed to have appeared, these words had appeared, according to the story, on seer stones. And, and, and then he was dictating each line to a scribe outside of the curtain who was writing it down for him. And so he, he was using something, you know, the, the seer stone in a process that is called scrying, which means, which comes from a word that means describe or to read. And guess what? That is an occult practice that is still popular in contemporary witchcraft. Now, as far as the founder's concerned, we will continue to dig into um, this founder here because we just share just the origins of Mormonism. As far as Joseph Smith is concerned, it's looking deeper into his life. He was born in Sharon, Vermont on December 23rd, 1805. And he was actually a Freemason. And that's important to remember because a lot of the practices, some of the practices of Mormonism come from some of their practices. You also find, or we also find that he was an itinerant diviner. He was a soothsayer and a treasure hunter. And I don't, that writing is really small. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Trying to fit it onto these slides here. But in 1834, Mr. E.D. Howe and 62 other residents of Palmyra, New York, they signed the following statement about Joseph Smith. It says, we, the undersigned, have been acquainted with the Smith family for a number of years while they resided near this place. And we have no hesitation in saying that we consider them destitute of that moral character, which ought to entitle them to the confidence of any community. It says that they were particularly famous for visionary projects, spent much of their time in diggings for money, which they pretended was hid in the earth. And to this day, large excavations may be seen in the earth, not far from their residence, where they used to spend their time digging for hidden hidden treasures. And Joseph Smith Sr. and his son Joseph were in particular considered entirely destitute or lacking moral character, and addicted to vicious habits. So that's a statement from E.D. Howell and 62 other residents. And, and, you know, knowing that he was a treasure hunter, uh, this next point is useful because some former treasure hunters actually hired his services, but then they later filed a lawsuit against him in court. And Joseph Smith was found guilty on two charges of fraud and disorderly conduct in Bainbridge, New York. History also tells us that he was heavily involved with the occult. You heard me mention that earlier, something about the occult, one of his practices, using those seer stones. And so there's another tidbit here. And it says that Smith also had occult powers. 
And along with the number, early Mormon leaders was involved in various occult practices. And in 1826, he was arrested, tried, and found guilty of fortune-telling in Bainbridge, New York. I shared that point with you already. But Smith employed what he called a juniper talisman, which is an amulet supposedly possessing supernatural powers intended to bring wealth, influence, and power to his possessor. He would also place peep stones or seer stones into a hat and supposedly see visions of buried treasure, lost property, etc. This was the method by which the Book of Mormon was allegedly translated using witchcraft. Pretty much how I interpret that, using witchcraft. And that's not of God, so who's that from? The devil. And then later on, he would order that the Novu Expositor newspaper in Illinois be shut down, and he ordered that their presses be destroyed. And so he had his private police, the, the Novu Legion, um, go to the Novu Expositor, and, and, and they destroyed the presses, and they burned the remaining papers. Why? Because they were exposing a lot of the secrets of the Mormon church. And then he was later arrested for vandalism and violating the constitutional rights of the owners of the Novu Expositor and jailed in Carthage, Illinois. And then he was later killed by a mob at the jail in Carthage, Illinois on June 27, 1844. And so that's a little bit about the founder, Joseph Smith, the founder of uh, Mormonism. And so now there are several false prophecies of Joseph Smith. And we know, of course, what the Bible says about identifying a false prophet is if, if they say something is going to happen and it doesn't come to pass, that shows that they're a false prophet because if they really received a word from God, it's going to come true because God cannot lie. He knows all things. But, but here are some false prophecies of Joseph Smith. And, and once again, if you joined us midway, or I don't even think we're midway, but you joined us at this point, speaking to people online, um, yeah, I'm not claiming to know everything about Mormonism or Joseph Smith. Just sharing what we know. But he claimed that there were inhabitants on the moon. That's one. And in 1832, he prophesied in the Doctrines and Covenants, section 84, verses 2 through 6, that the Jewish temple will be rebuilt in Jackson County, Missouri, before that uh, generation had passed. And then he proclaimed that the Mormon establishment in Novu, Illinois, will remain there until the end of time. And the Mormon community under the leadership of their second prophet, and that's in quotations, uh, Brigham Young, had them all leave Novu forever and resettle in the stage of Utah in 1847. So by Brigham Young leaving there and taking those followers, those followers there, that community, um, of course, that, that caused Joseph Smith's prophecy to fail. And so if he were a true prophet, then it would have come to pass. It would have stood. But if you heard me mention the Book of Mormon, you heard me mention something about the Pearl of Great Price, and it brings me to the section entitled Mormon Religious Texts. You see, the LDS Church, Church of Latter-day Saints, 
which many of them prefer to be called LDS, um, they, they claim that the biblical canon never closed. The Bible that we read here, biblical Christians read, they said that the canon never closed and Re- Revelation continued till Joseph Smith, as well as other presidents and prophets of the church right up to the present day so they can continue to change things. But the God that we serve never changes. And so if somebody's a true prophet and they're receiving a word from God, it's not going to contradict itself. It just won't happen. But here are some of their, here's their religious texts here. The Book of Mormon, the Doctrines and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price. They believe all three are divinely inspired and are inerrant, but they also believe that the Bible, that is the King James Version of the Bible, they believe it's divinely inspired and inerrant, but notice this, as it is properly translated or agrees with their other books. Okay, so my question is, who is a Hebrew or Greek scholar to know that there's something that has not been properly translated? Or to know that there's something missing. And so if you're going to say that, then I have to put the claim on you and ask you the question, well, do you know Hebrew? Do you know Greek? The Greek texts of the Bible, they're online. You can find them. There's a museum. You can, you can find them online. You can go through it if you want to read them. And, and so, you know, I, I will pose that question to them. But, but their first... Um, Religious text, the Book of Mormon, obviously has some problems. And, and first of all, the Book of Mormon covers the history of what they would call two great civilizations, the Nephites and the Lamanites, and they fought each other over the centuries. So, so you see a lot of that information in there, but there's some problems with it. And one of the problems is that it's riddled with errors. In fact, the book itself admits that. In its opening pages, it's somewhere at the fourth or fifth page. And they actually revised it in 1981. Remember, it was originally written in 1830, but they had to revise it in 1981. And so this is the book the Mormons use today, the, the 1981 version. Then, of course, there are over 3,000 changes between that 1830 original text of the Book of Mormon and that 1981 edition. And then, of course, as we've seen, as you've heard the story, just a little bit about the life of Joseph Smith and some of the failed prophecies there, um, I, I cannot call him credible. I cannot. And, and you could put any fill in the blank with anybody's name. If they had that history and these failed prophecies, I would say that they're not credible either. And so I'm not picking on any one person. But another problem with the Book of Mormon is that It's contradicted by the historical record. In fact, the only place that history is taught as it is in the Book of Mormon is at BYU or at any other Mormon school. They're the only ones who support the history that's found in the Book of Mormon. Archaeology doesn't support it. There's no, not one, zero archaeological piece of evidence that supports the Book of Mormon. None. You know, and then after excavations at the Hill of Cumorah, there is no battle, no evidence of a battle taking place in which over 200,000 people were killed in the 5th century. And then, this isn't on the um, screen there, but 
There, there's a guy named Thomas Murphy who's a Mormon. He's a Mormon anthropologist. Not Christian, not a non-Mormon, but he was a Mormon anthropologist. Thomas Murphy, he admitted that there is no ancient American source showing validation of a single place, person, or event described in the Book of Mormon. Not one. Then, of course, there are no ancient manuscripts of the Book of Mormon. So nothing we can look at to compare to say, okay, this is the right thing. But how about the second book, The Doctrines and Covenants? Obviously, there's some problems with this because, uh, first of all, the Book of Mormon was supposed to have everything in it. You know, Joseph Smith is the one who claimed that it was the most complete book on earth and it contains the fullness of the gospel. However, the doctrines and covenants will go on to add 13 new doctrines that were not covered in the Book of Mormon. And then the doctrine and covenants contain prophecies that haven't been fulfilled and can never be fulfilled. But then we come to their third book, The Pearl of Great Price. There's some problems with this one too. You see, the original version was written in 1851. Now, since that time, the Mormon church has deleted and added thousands of words to the book. You see, he presumably translated it from an ancient Egyptian papyrus that he purchased from a traveling lecturer in the year 19 or 1835. And then this papyrus was presumed, presumed lost until it was found in 1967. And so when they supposedly found the original ancient uh, Egyptian papyrus that they used, that he used to translate the Pearl of Great Price, it doesn't read at all like an Egyptian text. That's, that was the findings. In fact, it contained um, things about a funeral with instructions for embalmers. That's what it contained on there when they translated it. But from, for somehow, he got the pearl of great price from it and, and all the information that's in it. But here's where we come down to the, I almost used my Nacho Libre voice, the needy, greedy. God. Terminology difference. They say God, we say God. as biblical Christians, right? But, but their God is an exalted man. Okay? It's a... It, person was a man and, and, you know, got to that stage of godhood. That, so when they say God, that's who they're talking about. You know, in fact, to them or in their um, belief system, there are gods who, did, who existed before the heavenly father and it, who rules the earth today. The God that they're talking about was actually created or begotten by another God. And so... You know, after attaining Godhood, he will return to his heavenly abode with the body of flesh and bones, and he would have millions of spirit children with his goddess wife. So their God has a wife. They have babies in, in a place called the preexistence. And then these spirit children would eventually populate the earth. Okay, so this is the God we're dealing with. When they say God, we say God. It's not the same thing. Their God, once again, is an exalted man. You know, of course, we see there the Christian view. So the Christian view, 
is that God is not man. He is eternal and he has always been God. Been God. And you can find that in Habakkuk 1-2. Um, God is not man, Numbers 23-19. Um, and so I believe it's there on the slide. But then the Godhead. You know, when they mention the Godhead, um, they're talking about three separate gods. They see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost as three separate gods. Um, the only thing that they say they're one in is in purpose. They're one in purpose and plan to them, but not literally one, not literally one substance. But if you ask them to find a scripture somewhere in their text where it says that God is one in purpose and plan, they, they won't be able to find it. And the heavenly fathers, his name is Elohim. You know, and, and I'm using their, the way they're using the terminology. Jesus Christ is Jehovah, the second God in the Mormon Trinity. And then the Holy Ghost is the third member of the Godhead. The Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit to them, they're different. And so the Holy Ghost is the third member of the Godhead to them. And he is a spirit in the form of a man. Um, He does not fill the immensity of space and cannot be everywhere present in person at the same time. But the Holy Spirit, the way they define the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of the Heavenly Father, which enlightens every man. Again, in Mormonism, the Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost are not the same. But the scriptures tell us, and you see the note there, it says CV, that's the Christian view, based on the Bible, the biblical view. Um, the Christian view is that there's only one God who exists in, in three eternal persons. They're co-eternal. God the Son, God the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so you have three in one. One in divine essence, but they eternally um, coexist. One doesn't become the other. They all exist at the same time, co-eternal. They always were, they, they always they're, they're, are, they always will be, always existed. And so they may have differences in roles and duty, but of course, not in being. The Father is called God. Jesus is called God. The Holy Spirit is called God. But you have three in one. Now, I mentioned before a few weeks ago that you could see it this way, that the Father is the planner. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the accomplisher, and I'm speaking of their roles, and the Holy Spirit is the applier. Planner, accomplisher, and applier. You can see their roles in that way. You can see the Son submitting to the Father. And then you can see the Holy Spirit not testifying of himself, but he testifies of the Son. And so you see that in the scriptures. And to them, when they talk, when in Mormonism, when when they're talking about Jesus, this is not the same Jesus of the Bible. Um, in, in, In Mormon scriptures, He was the firstborn child or spirit child of God the Father in the preexistence. And he's a literal brother of Lucifer and all of mankind. In fact, he's the only begotten son of God in the flesh. And yes, they they claim he's the savior of the world. Um, But speaking of Jesus being born in the flesh, and and we we have to talk about the virgin birth. Because in, in, in regard to the virgin birth, they teach that God the Father 
literally has a, had a physical relationship with Mary. And that she conceived that way in the same natural way that all of us were born. And so that, that's not biblical. You know, the Christian view is that Jesus, of course, is the eternal God. He's fully God and he's fully man. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. You skip down to John chapter 1, verse 14. That's John chapter 1, verse 1, right? You skip down to John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, and the word became flesh. So just in John chapter 1, you see that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That's who he is. And then also the Christian view is that the virgin conception and birth is indeed biblical. It, it is true. You, you can see that in Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 35. And so there was no physical relations there. But then there's a terminology difference when we talk about heaven and hell. And, and we're going to start with heaven because, you know, in the Mormon doctrine, um, there's three levels, the celestial heaven or kingdom, which is for perfect Mormons, the terrestrial heaven or kingdom, which is for moral people and unworthy Mormons, and then the celestial heaven or kingdom for the wicked who have not blasphemed the Holy Ghost. And you can find that in their Doctrine and Covenants, um, 88 verses 16 through 20. And you can also find it in a document called Gospel Principles, chapter 46. So you can find that there. But the scriptures tell us that all true believers will receive eternal life and enter into heaven, the dwelling place of God. And so you have the first heaven, biblically speaking, which is our atmosphere. You have the second heaven, biblically speaking, which is the universe, anything outside of the earth's atmosphere. And then you have the third heaven, which is the dwelling place of God. That's where we go. All believers go. There's no celestial, terrestrial, celestial, celestial, whatever you want to call it. The Bible doesn't talk about that. But then in Mormonism, hell, moving on to hell, is in, as an institution, hell is eternal. However, it's a temporary place of punishment. So they don't believe that people will spend, people who go there will spend eternity there. They believe that most who suffer in hell will eventually end up and remember the celestial kingdom, which is the lowest heaven. And so you can find that in a document called Mormon Doctrine by McConkie, pages 349 to 351. Again, Mormon Doctrine, McConkie. So we're not making it up. We're finding it. We're reading back their text. Okay, but the scriptures tell us, and this is the CV, the Christian view, that hell is the eternal place of punishment for those who die without trusting in Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ of the Bible for salvation. It's an eternal place. But then there's another uh, difference in terminology in regard to salvation. In Mormon doctrine, salvation is unconditional. And, and it's what Jesus earned for all mankind by his sufferings in the garden. That's the garden of Gethsemane and and the death on the cross when he atoned for the original sin of Adam. They also believe that individual salvation is what every man must earn for himself or herself 
by perfectly keeping all of the laws and ordinances of the Mormon gospel. And we'll talk about what that is. You see, salvation by grace. Through faith alone in Christ, that that's actually scorned um, by, by Mormons who adhere to this. They scorn that. They believe that works must be involved. But the Bible tells us that salvation is by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. So if a person sincerely repents and put their trust in Christ for salvation, they're saved. That's it. It's not Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus whatever, fill in the blank. It's not that. But now I told you that we would talk about what their gospel is. Because for salvation... Uh, remember, you, you have to keep all the laws and ordinances of the Mormon gospel. Now, the LDS gospel is actually a combination of the atonement of Jesus Christ, plus water baptism, plus temple endowments, temple marriage, faith in Jesus, repentance, tithing, teaching the gospel to others, and so forth. It's a combination of all of that. That's what they mean by their gospel, whereas the scriptures keeps it simple. That's not grammatically correct. The scriptures keep it simple. See, in the scriptures, the gospel is the good news of Christ's death and resurrection as an atonement for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. In fact, the Bible says to let God's curse fall on anyone who preaches another gospel. I don't care if it's an angel or another person who preaches another gospel. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 says, let God's first curse fall fall upon them or let them be a curse. And we read earlier, we talked about earlier how Joseph Smith claimed to receive these things from an angel. Is that God's angel? Remember this, that that Satan and his ministers, his servants, they can appear as angels of light. So was that one of God's angels or was it a fallen angel? You come to your own conclusion. It's, it, of course, it's fallen angel. But here's the heart of Mormonism, exaltation. So in other words, this this speaks of them becoming a God through obedience to all the laws and ordinances of the Mormon gospel. And so exaltation to them is eternal life. That's not surprising that their goal is to become a God, little G God. That's not surprising because remember, they believe that God is an exalted man. That's the belief in, in Mormon doctrine. And so, of course, they believe they can follow that same path. And so that's the heart of Mormonism, exaltation, this eternal progression. And there's a quote here. It says, as man is, God once was. As God is, man may be. That's from them. That's from their leadership. The scriptures tell us that there is no other God besides him. And guess what? There's no God who will come after him. It tells us in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 through 11. But then there's a key to understanding Mormons. Is that they have absolutely unshakable faith in Joseph Smith. No matter what you share about him, it's unshakable faith in him. They believe that that he was a true prophet. And, And whatever happened... Smith is still their source of divine revelation, the foundation of their entire viewpoint. 
even after what I just shared with you. And that's not even the whole story. And so we have to understand that. And so here's the evidence given by Mormons of why they believe what they believe. In spite of what was shared tonight, in spite of what many other Christians maybe have shared. Here's the evidence that they give about this burning in the bosom. They get that from Moroni um, 10 verse, verse 4. See, Mormons say you should search your heart, not the evidence to see if Mormonism is true. And I've, I've seen this happen before, you know, in my discussions with them. And you know, and, that, and really that's a sign. When they fall back on their testimony, that's a sign that they're being convicted. That's a sign that they can't get anywhere with you. And so they go back to the burning in the bosom. See, but the Bible tells us it's clear when it tells us to not trust our hearts. Why? Because our hearts are deceitful. They're, they're desperately wicked. We don't trust our hearts. We, don't, we shouldn't even advise anybody to follow your heart. We hear that so many times in movies and these children's shows. Don't follow your heart. It's deceitful. You know, so it's burning in the bosom. So do I believe that um, uh, Mormonism is Christian? No. And, and you see the evidence here. And so it is not Christian. It, it does not match up with biblical Christianity. And they may say that they're Christian, but I respectfully disagree on these grounds that I've shared tonight. I respectfully disagree. And I know that they know that they're, they're really not adherents to biblical Christianity. I know that they know that because uh, there, there was one incident where they came to my house and, and the guy was, you know, was trying to witness or whatever. We got into a discussion, shared some things with them. But then it got to the point where, you know, I, you, you know it, was done to st- it was time to stop talking. And so I just asked them that, that if you truly believe, I asked the guy, if you truly believe that, that you're a Christian and I just told you I'm a Christian, then why are you trying so hard to evangelize me? Because they really don't believe that they're adherents to biblical Christianity or else they wouldn't try so hard. Even after you tell them you're a Christian and you go to this Christian church, this, that Christian church, biblical Christianity, even after you tell them, they will still try hard to evangelize you and they get you to come to their church or their ward, I should say, to be proper, their ward. They'll try hard because they know. And so, you know, we live in a community, of course, where in a state, of course, where there's many Mormons, many of them to witness to. But uh, but again, when you when you speak this truth to them, speak the truth in love. You know, and I, and I would ask them this, that, you know, I wouldn't get into all these things about the, the underwear that they wear and stuff like that before they go into the temple. I, I would you know, that comes later, you know, focus on focus on um, Jesus. What is your view of the Bible and who is Jesus? Stick to those two topics. Just stick to those two topics and then everything else, you know, you can discuss at a later time. But we want to see them saved first and then we'll deal with those other issues later. It's so much. Okay, but, but let's take a look at the New Age movement. So according to um, a, a survey conducted December 4th through the 18th in 2017, among U.S. adults by the Pew Research Center, about six, check this out, 
This is blow your mind. Six out of ten Christians who say they believe in God as described in the Bible believe in one or more of the four New Age beliefs that were analyzed on the survey. And that number is just about the same for those in the United States who claim to be spiritual but not religious. There's something wrong with this. Biblical Christians but still believe in at least one of those four New Age beliefs that were on the survey. And there are some fast facts I want to share with you. I don't want to keep you here all night. Oh, it's going to change. There we go. Some fast facts. So this, this modern movement has been around for about 50 years. And it has none of the following. They have no sacred text, no individual founder, no membership, no formal clergy, so no pastor or anything like that. No geographic center or, or central organizations or headquarters. Instead, they just follow a group of, uh, of principles or beliefs. They, they don't even have um, an official website or creeds. Okay, so, but, an, but another thing, another thing about them in, this, in these fast facts is that they are tolerant of the non-biblical religions. Um, you know, I, I'm, I've known somebody who was involved in the New Age movement, and so a lot of these things I've, I've heard from them. And so I'm not making it up. I, I did my research. Again, once again, disclaimer, I don't know everything, but I have had discussion with a person, at least one person that comes to mind, um, who's involved in this movement. Um, you even hear it on TV. You know, that actually, actually, that's one of the things that, that stirred my heart um, to have an apologetics night. Um, you know, because actually going back to the kind of the full story there, I, I, you know, in the morning I'm getting dressed, brushing my teeth, and I do brush my teeth, praise God. But <laughs> praise God for you who have to talk to me. So I was brushing my teeth. I had the YouTube video on, and um, <clears throat> I don't want to name names, but... Anyway, it was a commentator um, commenting on a, a, a person running for an office, I, I think is running for some type of governor in one of these states in our country. And um, the person who's running for governor, they were sharing their view of evolution, and they were right on. They were talking about, you know, they, they, were, for, they were for creation, you know, sticking to the scriptures. They were right on. And so uh, the commentator who was commenting on that person who's running for governor, is not a believer. But this person who's not a believer who was commenting on that was actually giving some good biblical points. And so I'm wondering to myself, how come you're not a Christian yet? Because he was sharing some good views about that, that, that's, that went against evolution. It was for um, creationism, of course. We believe that, you know, God created everything. And so that just kind of stirred my heart. I was like, wow, we should have an apologetics night. And the two things that came to mind, of course, was Mormonism and New Age. And um, getting back to New Age, because that's where we are right now, you know, that, that was one of the things that, that my heart got stirred about. Because I, I see this, you know, even with certain athletes and um, people on TV, you know, I got to thank my lucky stars or the universe, you know, smiled on me, saying things like that. I haven't seen an athlete who claimed to be Christian when they first got into the NBA. I'm not going to name the player. But in this interview, they asked this person, what can you not go without? 
And so they said, and on that list, they said Bible. They had their Bible there. I'm like, okay, cool, thumbs up. But then as they went on, they started bringing out crystals and talking about sage and going down the hotel in the, in the hallway, saging the place. I'm like, okay, that's new age, you know. This is, this is new age stuff. And so, and, and you know, you hear people, you, you hear some of these things, you, you know, talk show hosts in the past. Um, I guess many of you know Oprah Winfrey, for example. You know, she was arguing with somebody, and this is on YouTube. She, she was arguing with somebody who was sitting out in the, in the audience. Jesus cannot possibly be the only way. That's what she said. And that goes along with the New Age uh, belief. So this is not stuff we haven't heard. Not, you know, so we hear it. And so that, that's one of the reasons my heart was stirred about this. But anyway, they're not tolerant of non, uh, they are tolerant of the non-biblical religions. And it's promoted through yoga, meditation, Eastern philosophy. Now, of course, we are told to meditate upon the word of God. That's different. We're not using the term. When we say that, we don't mean it in an Eastern um, religion way or according to Eastern philosophy. Um, And so uh, this New Age movement is a combination of um, several Eastern religions. You know, it's a combination of Hinduism, Buddhism, um, and Taoism. You know, so it's a combination of those amongst other things. So these are just some. And so that's why they have a lot of Eastern-y religious stuff involved in there. And the Lord tarries, maybe one day we'll cover these things. But I do want to share with you the immediate origins of the New Age movement. And so maybe you could take a picture of that, maybe blow it up on your phone. Maybe you'll view it a little better. Um, but it was popular, popularized first by Alice Bailey, who's a British-born Episcopalian for a time. And, um, you know, Alice Bailey followed the teachings of Madame Blavatsky, who's the founder of the Theosophical Society. And so Bailey's writings actually laid the groundwork for today's New Age movement. See, the, but the immediate beginnings could actually be found in what was going on in the 1960s. Um, that you had the hippie counterculture coming, the interest in drugs and mysticism, you, the destruction of traditional morality, feminism, Wicca and ecology, the humanistic and transpersonal psychology, um, world disarmament and various hunger projects, secular humanism, and you hear a lot of secular humanism in many colleges and universities today. And so they, they, they're pouring these things. And so you want to be rooted and grounded in the word before you go off to college, to university. Rooted and grounded in the word. And so um, there are obvious problems, though, with this movement. You see, unlike the Bible, it has none of the following. No detailed fulfilled prophecy. You know, they may maybe point to Nostradamus and some of these things, but I said detailed prophecy, specific fulfilled prophecy, no scientific support, historical evidence, no textual evidence like the Bible has, no archaeological evidence, um, no credible, I have textual evidence there twice, uh, no credible religious text, no identifiable source, no traceable founding. So, So none of that. And here are those 
the main beliefs. You see, they have a main belief that all is one. It's called monism or monism, however you pronounce it. So, so everything is interrelated, interdependent, and interpenetrating for them. And that concept of all is one actually leads to all is God, which is pantheism, that God is in everything. You, everything around you, the tree, the floor, whatever it may be, the moon, all of it is God to them. You see, the new age God is more of an it than a he. There's no personal creator in the new age movement to people who believe this. You know, they, they believe, of course, in human deity that people are gods. Again, like Mormonism, this sounds like Mormonism, they believe that humankind is a process of evolution. In other words, they believe that people eventually become gods. This thinking that we, uh, of people becoming gods, of people even wanting to be gods, and not only here, which you've heard tonight in Mormonism and, and, and this new age thinking, but remember this, who's the first one in the Bible who wanted to be God and take God's place? So, so where does this come from? Whose doctrine is this? Yeah. Okay, trace it back. Read the Bible. He wanted to be God. And now you see this teaching package. You have different packages, but, it, but a lot of it is, it's the same main message. It's all about you. you. You are your own God. Okay? I want you to pick that up. Pick it up as we're, as we're going through this. You know, even... You know, Shirley MacLaine, this, this movie star and evangelist for the New Age movement, she, she states this in the following in her book, Dancing in the Light. This is what Shirley MacLaine said. She said, and this is blasphemy, by the way. She says, I know that I exist, therefore I am. I know the God source exists, therefore it is. And since I am part of that force, then I am that I am. Remember, that's what God told Moses? Okay. Need I say more? <laughs> so they, they, they believe in this need to experience a change in consciousness and the belief in the oneness of all religions. Ah, here we come. We're coming up to it. One world religion. Right? Tribulation period coming up, right? Okay, so the belief in this oneness of all religions, the belief in reincarnation. And in their reincarnation, they, they don't believe that you can go backwards. Okay, they believe that you, you just continue to move forward. Uh, they believe in moral relativism. In other words, there's no absolute truth. Truth is relative. But you have to ask the question, okay, if there's no absolute truth, you have to ask them, is, is that a truth statement? So how are you going to make a statement of truth that all truth is relative, but then say at the same time that all truth is relative? You know, and so it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make sense. And, and in fact, that's the reason they hate biblical Christianity. Because biblical Christianity doesn't go for a moral relativism. We believe in absolute truth. There is right, there is wrong. 
They also believe in a coming new age. In other words, they believe in a utopian uh, society. But then there's, like in Mormonism, some terminology differences. So when they talk about God, we talk about God, we're not speaking the same language. It sounds the same, but uh, different meanings. And so to them, God, and, and I said a little bit of this before, so this is a little bit of review, but to them, God is, is not a supreme being. And we shouldn't worship him because all of us is supreme. All of us, we, we're God. We're just trying to unlock that God, little g God in us. To them, God is just a cosmic force. But according to scripture, God is creator and he is a personal God who wants to have a personal relationship with us. But they also have a different view of Jesus. So to them, Jesus is one of many cosmic Christs like Buddha, Moses, Elijah, Muhammad. Notice that in the cults, they bring Jesus down. Okay, so Jesus Christ, that title, by the way, to them is just an impersonal force. And that Christ in personal force could rest on anyone like uh, Moses, Elijah, even you, according to this belief system. He's, he's just one of many teachers to them, and he's not Savior or Lord, but we know different. We know that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and he's both Savior and he is Lord. Amen. To them, get this. At best, the Bible is a work of mystical secrets which can only be understood by masters. But at worst, it's a book of Jewish legends. But we know that according to 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, that it is, an, it is the inspired word of God. Then they have a different view of creation. See, to them, all that is here was always here. So you don't have an eternal God, but material is eternal. Okay, so, so that's, that's their, that was what they believe. But we know that God created everything and everyone, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and earth. Genesis 1.1, John 1.1, scriptures there. Their view of salvation is different. For the New Agers, it's about achieving a new awareness of one's divinity and oneness with all things. So, and you can get there by works of occult discipline. There's no repenting of sin. Now, even the person that I spoke with, they, they hated the, the, the word sin. They didn't, they didn't even want to use it. But the Bible tells us that all humans are born in sin and deserving of hell. However, all who repent and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation will be saved. Right? The gift of God is eternal life. And in regard to the afterlife, we already talked about this. They believe in reincarnation, that death is not the end of of earthly life, but it's only a passage to, uh, guess what, a cycle of, of unending deaths and rebirth. That's what they believe. And, and they, in fact, they emphasize progressing upward toward final self-redemption. It kind of sounds like Mormonism, right? Same type of deal. Why does it sound like that? Because it's the same author. Satan can make himself appear as an angel of light. 
him and his servants. You know, but the scriptures, of course, tell us that there is no reincarnation. It tells us it's appointed um, for men to die once. And after this, the judgment, right? In Hebrews 9.27. They also believe that since all religions are one, they all lead to the same place. You're starting to hear religious leaders talk like this. Hear politicians talk like this. That all you Christians, you think you're so high and mighty, you all are worshiping the same God. Oh, no, we don't. No, we're not. It's not the same God, not the same Jesus. Same words, but different meaning. But here it is, our Christian view. Hey, Jesus. Jesus is the way, of course, he's the truth and the life. We know that scripture, right? John 14, 6. But just like we had a key to understanding Mormons, there's a key to understanding New Agers. And here's a key to transform society by bringing about a reawakening that will emphasize self-discovery, spiritual growth, and enlightenment. And I'll show you some books at the end of, of where you can read this for yourself. So don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll show some resources to you. And so it's all about self. That's the key to understanding. It's all about self. But what does the scriptures tell us? Because if it's all about self, that there's pride there. Scriptures tell us that pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. Right? Proverbs 16, 18. So there's no, there's no way up from this type of thinking. And so what is the conclusion we come to? You know, as Christians... Or what do I want you to know as Christians? And maybe if you're a new ager who's listening at this point or somebody who adhered to the Mormon belief system. Just want to share with you that the Bible is reliable. History supports it. Science confirms it. Fulfilled uh, prophecy supports it. There is textual evidence that supports it. Nearly 6,000 uh, Greek fragments and, and whole um, books, whatever, have been discovered. They can compare the text. And I mentioned the Greek, I'm speaking of the New Testament. But then there's a way to verify the Old Testament text as well. And so it's reliable. And notice this, the existence of the nation of Israel supports it. Believe it or not. And so whatever you want to know about mankind, whatever you want to know about God, the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, salvation, how to live right in God's sight. How to worship God, the afterlife, the end times, whatever, whatever you want to know about marriage, any doctrine, any teachings, anything about like you go to the scriptures. It has information about that. And if you're involved in any other cult or religion. Speaking to maybe somebody who's listening or who's watching online. Just want you to know that Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's the only way to salvation. And here are some resources as we get ready to close. Okay, so I highly, if you want to know. Someone who came out of the New Age movement and they were a born-again believer right now, uh, Frank Sontag. I want you to, you, you can go on YouTube, 
Um, it's about 32 minutes. You can listen to his testimony. He was actually a new age teacher. He was actually on a radio station um, for new age. Okay. And the Lord saved him. Listen to his testimony. I encourage you to do that. He tells you just a little bit about what they believe, uh, but he's a born again believer. And I first heard about him um, from an um, apologetics conference. Um, you know, one year I was able to go to an apologetics conference. Another year I wasn't, you know, able to go, but I still ordered the DVDs. And so that's how I first learned of them. And so that's cool. But many of you know about the case for Christ, evidence for Christianity. Um, the Mormon scrapbook is really good. shows you how to um, witness to Mormons. But whoever you witness to, do it with an attitude of love. Okay? Speak the truth in love. And then, so what's the difference? And so here's some books. You know, we might go a couple minutes over. Um, but, but this is the one here. I, I recommend this. So what's the difference? So I know Karen, she's in here. She's probably taking notes. There you go. I'll, I'll let you know. Okay. She, she oversees the bookstore there in the lobby. So really good. Um, I just finished um, not too long ago a class on, um, I'm still in Bible college, so I just finished a class on cults and religions, so we had to read this. This was good. Um, a while ago, I used to go witnessing with a guy um, who no longer attends this church, but he's still a brother in Christ, and you know, you know, he, he advised me to get this, so it's a very good one, uh, the Mormon scrapbook, you know, so it helps us to share the gospel with Mormons, so maybe we can order that. This is an old school book, <laughs> Falling Apart on Me. I don't think I have this on the list, but it's called Fast Facts on False Teaching, so I'll probably, get, um, I'll probably ask Karen to order that. Um, I read this one, of course. Case for Christ, old school, oldie but goodie, right? Still good. This, we do? Okay, cool. So it's a good one. Um, evidence for Christianity. It's thick, but <laughs> it's good. I didn't read all of it yet. I think I'm about, oh my goodness. I'm, yeah, I'm about halfway through. So it's okay, but it's good. So you want to get that one. So again, this is on the list, so. All right, thanks for coming out tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for allowing us to um, be here and worship you. And Lord, we, we know that you love um, those who are involved in Mormonism and, and the New Age movement. And Lord, I, I really, really pray that although we have this information, and there's still much to learn. We pray, Lord, that when we speak to anyone involved in any cult movement or whatever, that we do it with the heart of love, that whatever heart you have for them, Lord, give us that heart. Uh, I just want to keep that prayer simple, Father. And I pray that you would just bless my brothers and sisters in Christ, equip them, use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.